Well, good morning. Uh, before I get started here, I just wanted to say something about uh, today's sermon, and that is um, I, I don't want it to come across as legalistic because uh, it's it, there's a lot of reference to the law and obeying the law and following the law. This is a, it's an amazing portion of Scripture as we are in the middle of chapter 7 of Romans. You're going to find that next week uh, there will be a revelation of Paul's utter frustration of trying to do the right thing, but inevitably doing the wrong thing. For the good I do, I do not do, but the bad I do not want to do, I end up doing, you know. And if you read that in the King James Version fast, that last part of, of uh, chapter 7, it's a real t- tongue twister. Um, but inevitably there's something in us that continually wants to do the wrong thing, even though we want to do the right thing. And it's that sin nature that's still hanging, hanging in there, um, as at least in chapter 7, the latter part. And he gives way to victory through Jesus Christ. But today's portion of Scripture, as I go through it, and I'm talking about the law and things that we need to do to the law, don't, don't be surprised if it leads you to a little bit of a point of frustration. I think that's the, the remarkable thing about God's Word and, and how he used the Apostle Paul almost as a lawyer and, and presenting this. And he gets, gets people to a, a point of your recognition of, I can't do this. And then chapter 8 is beautiful because <laughs> it's the Holy Spirit who actually fulfills um, uh, that obedience and uh, that wonderful following of God. And so uh, that's not a, a um, I don't know what I call that, but I'm, it's... it's it's just a, a fact of the, uh, of the matter for this portion of Scripture. Uh, it's not an excuse uh, for the sermon. Lord, we thank you for this day. I do thank you for the worship. And uh, Lord, forever you'll be honored and praised in our hearts and minds. And I thank you that you've led us to yourself. And that's remarkable how you've done that and how you've taken our lives. And now we open the truth and, uh, of your word and we want to be changed by it. And so we pray, Lord, that we would understand that it's not us, but it's, it's you working through us that fulfills the law. Uh, Lord Jesus, we know that you fulfill the law. That there's nothing more that we could add to that. And so it's our faith in you. But Lord, I, we do want to be obedient children uh, in addition, and we want to be changed people. And so we pray that you would just speak to our hearts through this portion of Scripture and that we have true understanding of what it means. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, scales have been used uh, since some of our earliest records uh, that we have in history. However, originally they were never designed uh, to find human weight uh, until probably around the 1800s. Uh, prior to then, they're primarily used for the purpose of buying and selling and trading merchandise. Hundreds of years ago, when, the, when Solomon penned the words to his sons in Proverbs, Proverbs 20, 23 says, The Lord detests differing weights, and dishonest scales do not please him. So you understand that um, the Lord would take exception to those who would actually use scales in the wrong way, uh, sometimes tipping the scales because they were used by merchants, often to cheat. Uh, others in the marketplace. They would place 
uh, you know, the, the item to be measured on one side and on the other side by readjusting the balance, <laughs> it would be in their favor, favor. Or they would have a mismarked weight, say that it was five pounds, uh, it would be marked five pounds and it would really be four pounds that they're counterbalancing with and they'd be cheating you out a pound of the product. And so, uh, but you understand how scales in general were used. Well, today we use scales a little differently. We, we still use them for in the marketplace, but uh, we do now use them for weighing humans. Today, uh, fairly accurate readings can be taken at the convenience of your home. Uh, pinpoint accuracy to, uh, to within a tenth of a pound. Uh, I even found one online that if you stand on these little kind of electrodes, I guess, coming out of the scale, if you just kind of stand on the metal part, it, it measures your, your BMI, your, your body mass index. It passes a current through you, and since uh, fat is more conductor than muscle, I don't even know, I don't want to go down there that road, but it, it measures. I, I saw one here, and it says, I don't believe it even says this, but this, this poor soul, only 126 pounds, but 18.2%, it says FAT, fat. That's an insult. The kind of, so, so there's kind of this uh, love-hate relationship we all have with the bathroom scale. It's like this little miss or mister know-it-all, you know. People argue with their scales. People buy new ones because this one's definitely wrong. I can't weigh that much. It's interesting. Our grandparents had that scale with a big, you know, uh, magnifying glass in the middle there to read the numbers. Uh, they had that for ages, you know, it, it, right or wrong, but it was always there, you know. Uh, the Scale and Weights uh, Commission says that today's families will change their scales five times, <laughs> you know, so five five different times. Some of you are sitting there saying, I don't have a scale. Some of you are saying, we still have the same scale since we were married, and we've been married for 50 years or whatever. Anyhow, l- looking at scales objectively, the scale itself is not the problem. Uh, it just indicates our weight, nothing more. Scales are, are not prejudice uh, of who steps on them. But one thing particularly good about scales is that since there is a correlation between our weight and our health, um, be it too heavy or too thin, scales um, can, can give some you know, meaningful data for us. As much as I hate to admit it, I'm really just looking for that scale that tells me uh, you know, that everything's fine and to have a good day, you know. If it just says that, I'm just, <laughs> this is great. My day's going to be good. But let's face it, you can, you can throw away the scale. There is something wonderful and dangerous about being ignorant uh, of where you are physically. Seriously, it's not the, f- the fault of the equipment that we're out of condition. Uh, it just reports the truth, nothing but the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, right? And so, uh, why all this talk about scales? Well, it's interesting. Weight scales remind me of the Old Testament law that the Apostle Paul uh, speaks of and refers to in the letter, his letters to Rome. Paul found the Judaizers were giving the law too prominent of a position. Um, they weren't realizing that the law was just an indicator of where they were. Paul speaks to those who knew the law, and instead of using it as a gauge, 
They were worshiping the law. They were thinking even the law somehow could save them. This would be like us using the bathroom scale to lose weight, just by getting on and off it each day with the hope that we're going to reach our required or desired weight. That would be ridiculous. And we know that. And Paul speaks to the Jewish Christians in Rome, and they should have known better also. For he's speaking to people, although they honored the law, they also feared the law as if it were their enemy. The law might appear to be our enemy, but it's no more than a gauge. And so the law simply reveals where we fall short in relation to God's holiness. That's all the law does. It simply reveals where we fall short in relation to God's holiness. Uh, somebody asked me recently, what, what do you mean when you refer to the law? Like, what laws are we talking about? And I gave them a 20-minute answer. I think they fell asleep after 10 minutes. But I, could, I continue for another 10 minutes giving the answer. And so I don't want to commit that same error today. I'll give you the short answer. And I just turn to the Westminster Confession that divides the law into three categories. And I thought that's a pretty good summary. First of all, there's the moral law. Basically, the Ten Commandments, and there's more, but basically, if you get the Ten Commandments, you got the moral law, uh, what's being stated. Um, <clears throat> these are, are uh, also found throughout the New Testament, uh, repeated in different ways. And so they apply, the moral laws apply to the believer today. There's also ceremonial laws. And they mainly refer to the sacrificial system, the old covenant, you know, the circumcision, that whole cleanliness code. You can't touch this, and if you touch this, or or you're defiled if you came across somebody who was dead or dying or with leprosy, and you, you, it had all the ceremonial laws, which are specific to Israel in the Old Testament. And uh, again, if you read in the New Testament in the Book of Hebrews, you'll find a phrase over and over again: "Once for all." And that is that Jesus fulfilled the law, and now we are no longer have to submit to these ceremonial laws over and over again. So that when you pulled up and you got out of your car and you came into the church today, you didn't hear the bleeding of sheep in the background. You know? And some of you breathing a sigh of relief. We're not going to sacrifice a lamb on the, uh, on the altar this morning. And so that's the ceremonial laws. We're not obligated to follow the ceremonial laws. And you have civil laws. Um, the, the book of Leviticus is, is filled with it. And there's some very intriguing ones. You know, one, if, if this happens and this happens and this happens, I don't even want to go down that it because it's, it, it just, it's, it, there's, it's so detailed and it's how they would live out the law with one another. But if somebody accidentally killed somebody versus they intentionally killed somebody again, and if something happened and, and the woman was pregnant when she was injured too, and it's, 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 it's very specific to the nation of Israel uh, because of, they were under a theocracy. They didn't talk about separation of church and state. The, the religion was the religion, and it was the law. All right. So when the Apostle Paul was writing to the church in Rome, he's writing to the church, and he's combining... Uh, he's writing to a group of people, however, that were combining the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ with... Old Testament Jewish ceremonial law. He said, that's wrong. In fact, when we were in chapter 2, if you remember back then, several weeks ago or months ago, um, you saw that 
that God was less interested in seeing the ceremonial law fulfilled than he was what was happening on the inside of a man. In fact, when they deal with that whole circumcision issue, uh, in Romans chapter 2, verses 28 and 29, and I'll put it up here, a man is not a Jew if he is one only outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a man is a Jew if he is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart. That's where he wants to make a difference. By what? By the spirit, not the written code. Such a man's praise is not from men, but from God. He's desiring an inward change, not an outward expression. And so uh, that's how he deals with the issue of circumcision. And so back to the law. The main point of the law is that we as believers, uh, we it doesn't go away for us. No human being on earth can fulfill the law completely because... Uh, other than Jesus Christ, he was the only one who could f- completely fulfill the law, and he did, in fact, do that. He is the perfect Lamb of God. He gave his life as a sacrifice, a pure, unblemished Lamb of God, and so he fulfilled the law. But, but here's where it gets important. Think of this. The goal cannot just be in life for us... To, to go by a certain list of roles and say we accomplished this. Our goal, even physically, when you talk about the, the whether it's a scale, whether it's a blood pressure monitor, or um, I don't know what else, a thermometer, you can get good readings and still be deathly ill. I remember my father, he had mesothemioma, and as he was dying in those later days, he would... He would still go out, and we would go places. It'd be a giant eagle, and someone would say, "You look great, Don. You haven't. You must have lost a ton of weight." And he's like, "Yeah, I got about three months to live, um, but I, I finally reached the, the, my desired weight." So, just having the, the indicator, or just being able to check off a checklist, isn't our goal, and it's not our goal with the law either. You know, just like it, it, it's it's not. Uh, okay, what, God, you want me to do this, this, and this, and there's then no change of the heart, there's no faith in Jesus Christ, and you're just fulfilling this checklist of, of laws. There are those who fear the law, too. The law is not designed to simply bring fear into our lives, but obedience. I mean, you can drive a car around in constant fear, put one of those big... Uh, um, Radar detectors in the front and just, I hope there's not a police up here. I hope there's not one around the corner. I hope there's no one high. Or what can you do? You can ride, drive the speed limit <laughs> and like just be uh, happy as a pig in mud, just driving around. You know, hey, I don't have to worry about this. The law was not intended to bring fear, but the need for righteousness. And so we find in Romans chapter 7, and we'll start there, Romans 7, verse 7, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? In other words, is the law bad? Is that what's wrong? Certainly not. That's one of those meganointa. May it never be. Indeed, I would not have known what sin was except through the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, do not covet. And so that makes sense. Uh, I hope it makes sense to you now. I want to talk a little bit this morning about what the law means in reference to the believer. 
So how do we interact with the law? Well, first of all, the law makes us aware of what we're doing wrong. Again, it's a gauge, right? God's law is not a list. It's all of his word. It's his revealed word to us when it speaks to us specifically, not when it's speaking specifically to Israel or other individuals in Scripture, but it's his word. Paul is basically saying, I was going around like a normal human being. I was just kind of enjoying myself. All of a sudden, I would see something that somebody else had, and I thought, man, I would like to have that. Why does that guy have that and not me? Or he would walk outside and he'd see this beautiful woman and say, man, I wish she was my wife and not his wife. And so what was he doing? He's coveting. He's coveting. And, and you know, there's a deeper issue of coveting. It's interesting. One sin gives way to other sins. And, and when you think about it, it's a dissatisfaction. When we're coveting, we're, we're dissatisfied with God's provision. We're believing that God is incapable of meeting our true needs. And secretly, what are we doing? We're building resentment towards another person. I don't know why you have an idea. I grew up with that kind of resentment towards wealthy people. I grew up in, you know, Sharpsburg. Many of you know that. We were, we didn't have two nickels to rub together, but we talked so much about the wealthy as if they were evil people. You know, they, they always talk about wealthy people looking down their nose at, at the poor. Well, we, we were doing the opposite. It's still sinful. Categorized a whole group of people that were successful or made money, and we just despised them. Either way, it's, it's a sin is sin. And, and the Apostle Paul says, I, I, I would have not known what coveting is until in the scrolls, as he opened the word of God, he said, he sees, thou shalt not covet. And what is Paul? This realization comes over him. It's like, when, when the law is revealed to me, now... I'm guilty. Now I have to respond to it. And so he sees the law. It says, thou shalt not covenant. And he says, oh, that is wrong? Oh, my goodness, I've been, I've been doing this forever. I do that all the time. And here I was offending God. And so now to translate this to, the, to, to today, you know, we're not bound by all the ceremonial or civil laws. Rather, simply, we need to be obedient to the moral laws, the Ten Commandments, and then all the commands that we see in Scripture that are written for us. It's interesting, you know, a few years ago, I remember, and I was having my quiet time through 1 Samuel, I kept seeing God providing for his people, protecting his people, and they always wanted more. (laughs) They were never grateful. Over and over again, you see through the Old Testament, God providing, protecting his people, they're them sinning, and then they want more. We want more. We want more. We want more, you know. And it's you're like, oh, my goodness, such an ungrateful people. Now, it's interesting, as I would have my quiet time in the morning and I would be reading this portion of Scripture, I wasn't coming across a portion of Scripture that says, do not grumble. Although there are Scriptures in the New Testament where we say not to grumble or complain, but this, this portion of Scripture wasn't, wasn't saying that, but it was saying that. It's saying, and, and then as I reflected on my own life, I said, man, I can't believe how I've been dishonoring the Word of God by grumbling and complaining, seeing what other people have and what I didn't have. 
and not being satisfied. I didn't have an attitude of gratitude. And the Lord convicted me of that. See, you see how his word, when I'm looking at his word, it's like a template for me to say, does your life match up with this? You know, what's this pattern that you're falling into? And so the application for us, in order for us to know what is right or wrong, for us to begin to, to see this, the scale, if you would, or this measuring device of where we are spiritually, we need to read and obey the Word of God. We need to read and obey the Word of God by His grace and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because if you're not in God's Word, you could be trampling it. God's Word through the power of the Holy Spirit will bring conviction and bring uh, and will reveal where we are wrong. It's, again, it's a template uh, for uh, our lives, and, and we're able to measure our, ourselves up against the Word of God. You cannot read the Word of God and stay neutral. I'm convinced of that, unless you're, unless you're carnal. One might say, well, you know what? I don't want to read the Word because it might convict me. I don't want to read the Word because then I can, I can just remain ignorant, and it, it doesn't really matter. You know, you can think that's a good defense. Being ignorant of God's law does not make you immune to its penalty, its consequences, any more than throwing away the bathroom scale will make you skinny. This is a measuring device, and we, and we need it. Secondly, the law exposes our sin and sin's ultimate consequence, which is death. <clears throat> And so the law reveals that to us also. Look at verses 8 through 11, and I'll put it up here also. <clears throat> Excuse me. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of covenant des- covenant's desire. For apart from the law, sin is dead. Once I was alive apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I find that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me. And through the commandment, put me to death. You know, they say ignorance is bliss. (laughs) But there comes a day when truth is revealed. Then we must deal with the consequence of knowing the truth. And Paul personifies sin here as if it were alive and attacking him. Here is how sin works. You know, before you were a Christian, and we use this analogy many times because we talk about sin and sin in old Greek terminology, uh, Greek warriors, when they would miss a target, that was called sin. You're missing the mark. You're missing the mark. And as I described this several weeks ago, as believers now, what is sin? We know the truth. And it's like sin isn't just miss. Oh, I accidentally missed the target. I was really aiming for the target. No, we turn around and shoot this guy over here. Like, I know that's the target, but I'm intentionally firing that arrow somewhere else. Sin is intentional, and we are sinful people. We think we're better than we are. You know, it, <clears throat> it's interesting once you re- something is revealed to you and you know the truth, and then you begin to change, you, you don't automatically have this as a new believer. I was talking to a pastor friend of mine. He was sharing a story. He said, I, I was sharing with a young man. Let's, I'll just call him Jess. 
um, just to make up a name here. So he's sharing with Jess. Jess just came to Christ, and, and the pastor said, I sat down with him, and, and we, I just began to share with him some ways that his life needs to change. And he said, well, first of all, you have to stop sleeping with your girlfriend. And, and Jess, out of his innocence, out of his ignorance, he just said, what? You're crazy. I love her, and it's so fun. <laughs> and pastor's like, okay, hold up. I need to tell you what you're doing is wrong, you know, according to God's word. And uh, he said, I, I tried to explain it in some other ways. You know, this isn't the best thing to do. You can spread disease around. You can't be sleeping around with other other individuals. But he said, but you know what? The bottom line is this is what God says. And God always wants, you know, your, your best interest. And, and so this is his, his law. And he's, he's like, Jess is like, oh, you know what? I don't know what Anna's going to think about this, <laughs> his girlfriend. And so he said, oh, don't worry, Jess. My wife already talked to Anna, and she's fine with it. He said, really? He said, I was really worried about her. <laughs> I said, yeah. You see, Jess was doing fine, so he thought. He didn't know the emotional and relational bonds that he was making with his girlfriend by doing this and the damage that he could be caused, both in the relationship but also dishonoring God in that and then what would come to pass if they weren't to stay together. It's just It was just a mess. He was not aware of God's law. Now, here comes God's law. He's made aware of it. And he has to respond. And what did he have to do? He had to die to his desire. And so we find in, in, in verse 10, I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. You know, we think we're pretty good Christians and we measure ourselves by those around us. And that's wrong. God does not do this. We are measured by his son. And in preparation for this, we are measured by his word, his law. You know, there's some portions of scripture that as you read them, you're just like scratching your head like, I can never live up to this law. I don't, I don't even know how I do it. I remember a few years ago, we were so deep in debt and I was really struggling. And then I came across a portion of scripture in 1 Timothy chapter 5. It says, if anyone does not provide for his relatives, <laughs> and especially his immediate family, he has denied the faith. And it's worse than an unbeliever. I was like, that's got to be a typo. It's really got to, let's just move on from that portion of scripture. There's some very convicting portions of scripture. Like you're just like really scratching your head like, man, this is a tough one. But it's the reality of, of God's word. And you have to now grapple with that. Um, I know some of you women, you come across Proverbs 31. You're like, who is this lady? She never sleeps at night. She's making all the clothes for the, for the household. She's, you know, makes all the meals. She goes out and she buys and sells real estate. I mean, she says, Proverbs 31 woman is just amazing. I like verse 18. I always share it with my wife. <laughs> um, her light does not go out at night. I'm thinking, well, why are you sleeping? You know, you shouldn't be sleeping. You should be up. God's word says some pretty hard things that we can't measure up to. Jesus, additionally, as he exposed the heart of man, he would even go deeper sometimes. Just say, all the men around there uh, in the Jewish law, they knew adultery was wrong. He said, you think adultery is bad? Well, even if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you're committing adultery. Oh, my God. You're making it harder. You're making it harder. He said, you talk about murder. Okay, you, you, you probably never killed anybody. Did you ever call anyone a fool? 
Because in Scripture, it says, Scripture, he said, if you call any man a fool, he should be thrown into hell. You know, the consequence is eternal death for that. <laughs> we may be led to think that, you know, that's great. We have the law now. Now we, now we have the law. Now we, know, now we really know how we can serve God well. When in reality, all of a sudden, the overwhelming consequences we have to deal with are just, they are just that, overwhelming. But over time, we realize the benefit of following God's law. We usually discover the benefit after we have made too many errors and are suffering too many consequences. Verse 11 says, For the sin, seizing the opportunity afforded in the command, deceived me. And through the commandment, put me to death. And so the application is this. We need to believe that following God's law will produce a better outcome, the best outcome for our lives. So then we do submit to the law of God. We're like, you know what, I'm tired. I I, I kept thinking how ridiculous the law, how ridiculous this law, and I keep suffering the consequences. I'm tired of suffering the consequences. Lord, you have my attention, and now... Let me just do it the right way now. And I, and I, and I say that because we initially say that in our own power, like we're going to do it. And again, this is where this whole chapter is going. It's not going to be us that can do it. So that's just to keep that in, in the back of your mind. We have to do it, but how are we going to do it is the key. <clears throat> Thirdly, and finally, we must learn to love the truth instead of ignoring it. We have to love the truth instead of ignoring it. And that's the truth of God's word. Look at verses 12 and 13. So then, the law is holy. It's not sin, right? It's holy. And the commandment is holy, righteous, and it's good. Did that which is good then become death to me? Is this what's killing me? The scale? Is this what's killing me? The law? By no means. But in order that sin might be recognized as sin, you see, see, here he's saying, in order that sin might be exposed, in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it produced death in me through what was good, so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. That doesn't seem to make sense, but somehow it makes sense. That sin is sin. Today, we don't call sin, sin. <laughs> and, and we need to. And calling out sin, this is what sin is. And, and so, sin is now exposed as utterly sinful. I want to go back to where we started, because what's the law? The law reveals where we fall short in relation to God's holiness, God's perfection. So, in other words, the law reveals where our thoughts, where our words, where our actions are in relation to where God wants them to be, his holy and perfect will. And so the law is not the enemy. Again, for the believer, we must understand that God's desire is that we understand his will by studying his word and hearing from him, being quiet before the Lord and receiving from him that instruction. It's no longer the written code that we're trying to follow. We don't have this checklist of Old Testament laws that we're, that we're pounding out. But God wants to sow into our hearts the seeds of his truth. He wants your heart. He he doesn't want just your head. He wants all of you. I wonder if 
if we often avoid reading God's Word in fear, that it might lead us to do something extraordinary. We must get to the point where we love, love the Word of God. I love the when the psalmist writes this in Psalm 119. Psalm 119, a, a long psalm, but it's, it's almost all completely about the Word of God, the law of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord, all that the Lord wants for us. And the psalmist writes this. You think, well, he would hate this list. He would hate to follow the law of God. But no, he doesn't. He loves the law because it brings life. Oh, how I love the law. I meditate on it day and night. Here it says I meditate all day long. I hate double-minded men, but I love the law. I hate and abhorred falsehood, but I love your law. Great peace have they who love your law. And nothing, nothing can make them stumble. Wow. Of course, it will challenge us as we, as we look at the Word of God, as we submit to the law of God, as we submit to His will, you will feel uncomfortable. And even, I hate to say it, you'll feel irritated with some portions of Scripture. But this is the point that God wants to make in our lives, that's where, that's why we need Him. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. It's impossible for us to follow the law, to follow His will. You know, it's hard for us to face the truth, face, face the truth of the bathroom scale. But hating the scale is inappropriate, and so is worshiping it. And the same is true regarding God's law. We don't hate or worship it. We use it to know where we are at spiritually. By being exposed to God's Word, He allows us to get to a point of realization. There's no way we can do this in, in ourselves. There's, we don't have the power. We don't have the strength. We don't have the will to overcome what we should be doing. Next week, we're going to get to that point of frustration with the Apostle Paul, who deals with sin in his life in reference to the law. The good that I want to do, I don't do. The very evil that I don't want to do, I do. But we must not weaken the law. We must not despise the law, nor be apathetic to the law. And so the the application for us is we need to welcome the truth with open arms. What is the truth? Because the truth is going to be what sets us free. Ignorance may seem bliss to some, but the consequences are anything but. And so, just some things I want to leave you with, just to encourage you. Read God's Word. Be in His Word. Don't just set it, don't press flowers with it, just use it to study. Start with one of the Gospels if if you don't know where to start. Start with John or Mark or... Just start somewhere. And, and then as you're reading it, just, just ask the Lord to speak to you. What, I read this section. What does that mean? What does that mean for me, Lord? What, what are you trying to tell me through this portion of Scripture? This really helps. Find an ac- accountability partner. Just find one other person. Say, you know what? I, I've been out of the Word for a while. I just, need, I just need one other person just to kind of bounce some thoughts off. You know, Here's what I'm reading right now. And then that person can honestly ask you in your discussion, you know, 
when, you, when you're done with starting talking about sports and weather and other things, say, you know, where, where are you at in the Word? What are you, what are you reading right now? And there's a kind of a, there's an accountability there, but there's also a spurring on towards the will of God. And, and just allow yourself to fall in love with the word of God. It's, it's so powerful for us. But always understand this, and I just want to say this at the end here, and that's why I put it up here on the slide. Jesus fulfilled the law perfectly. We cannot. We are not saved by following the law. But because we are saved, we should desire to be obedient children of God. So, it's, it's that back to Romans chapter 6, right? What should we say then? Should we continue in sin that grace may abound? He says, that's ridiculous. You're making a ridiculous argument when you go down that road. He's going to forgive me anyhow. We're covered by grace. I don't need to do anything. Hmm. If you're a real believer... If you're a child of God, you want to be obedient. And, it, and by the way, you are so blessed by that obedience. But how to be that obedience, how to follow through, well, we're getting to that as we get into Romans chapter 8. But understand that as children of God, we want to be obedient, and we can only do it by the power of the Holy Spirit and by his grace in our lives. And so I would ask today that you would make a decision to read the Word of God, find an accountability partner, call and share what you're learning, or text what you're sharing, or text what you're learning and share it with other people, and fall in love with God's Word. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. Your, your law, your precepts, they're, they're sweeter than honeycomb. They're, they're just so nourishing to us and strengthening, invigorating to us, Lord. They bring life to our, to our soul as we submit our will for yours. And so I pray that you would use your word in our, our lives, Lord, to change us, to transform us into the men, the women, women of God that you want us to be. I pray, Lord, that... Um, we would acknowledge that we can't do this in our power and we need you desperately. Lord, I pray that we would also encourage others around us. We understand that the beginning of wisdom um, is the fear of you. And so we want to introduce people to you first, Lord, so that they can, they can be wise and they can begin to learn from your word. And so allow us to be lights for you also. And so we just commit this day to you, Lord. Use us to glorify yourself. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.